Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the chosen one. They just took virgin out. Why? It goes against logic. Who can believe that a virgin can give birth? Well, that's the whole purpose of the sign, <laughs> pointing to the Messiah. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. Now that we're into the month of December, we want to take these three weeks leading up to Christmas and talk about the importance of God sending His Son for the redemption of man. We start this with a two-part series led by former His Hill director Bill Bushhouse as he takes us through the familiar Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. He uses the song to springboard a study through scripture and look at some important topics such as the virgin birth and what it means for God to come to us clothed in humanity. So join us in this first of a two-part series that we have simply entitled, Hark. As we enter the Advent season, what is commonly called the Advent season or Christmas season, one of my favorite things to do is sing, sing uh, Christmas carols. I like Christmas carols. And also, what I've done now and then is to teach through a song or a psalm that we sing uh, or a Christmas carol. And so what I'd like to do is to teach through a very, very familiar Christmas carol uh, called Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. And uh, for many years, I sung through that and just sung through it. But the closer I looked, the more I looked, and the more I sung it, the more I saw, wow, this song, this song is uh, jam-filled, every line just about with prophecies, quotations from many books of the Old Testament and the New. And what's good about it is you don't have to sing it at Christmas time. You could sing it in your heart, in your mind, all the time. And it helps me, anyway, to just retain some of the thoughts of what Christmas is all about, what we're celebrating, who we are celebrating during Christmas time. So what I'd like to do is take it one stanza at a time. There's four stanzas in the hymn. And um, a line of a line at a time in each stanza. So you ready? Here we go. Hark! The herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Now I'm not going to sing it for you as we go through this, so you'll have to add the melodies. Yeah, hark! Listen, that's listen up. Is what the the angels are singing, uh, and it's the herald angels. A herald is a messenger. And uh, I can't be too dogmatic here, but as I read through my Bible, there seems to be three classes of angels, perhaps each with what is commonly called an archangel or a head or ruling angel. And one, we, we see the name Michael associated with the uh, with war. He seems to be the angel of war. Whenever there's a angelic war going on or one called for, both in Daniel and Revelation, it's, it's Michael. And secondly, there's the um, sphere of messenger angels or herald angels. And it seems like that's headed by Gabriel. When there's a message to be given, God sends the angel Gabriel. And thirdly, in the Bible, there seems to be, and I like the common word, 
um, guardian, angels that guard and protect. He will give his angels charge over you. Uh, now, the archangel uh, here is not named in Scripture, but uh, a lot of tradition, Jewish tradition, early Christian tradition even, gives the name of Raphael as the uh, head of the guardian angels. So you can uh, write in the Kelly if you disagree with that, and, <laughs> and I won't argue with you. But uh, it's helped me just to divide these angels into different tasks. But here he says there's a special group, and it's the herald angels, and it, I think of Luke chapter 2 and verse 13 through 14, where it says, A whole heavenly host appeared singing and saying, Glory to God in the heavens, peace on earth to good men. Uh, yeah, so these are angels that bring messages. And then it was Gabriel, the messenger angel, who came to Mary, right? Was sent to Mary and was sent to Joseph in a dream. Uh, to declare something. And what are they declaring? Glory. Glory to the newborn king. May the newborn king be glorified. Newborn king. So this uh, prophecy is an early one. It begins really, uh, it's everywhere. But one of my favorites, several of my favorites, include Psalm chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Psalm chapter 2 involves all these kings of the earth who are uh, assembling themselves uh, against the Lord Jesus Christ. But God says, I have set my king, my king, the one he has chosen to be king, I have set my king in the heavenly places. I think of Psalm 110 that says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. But the primary prophecy I believe he's referring to here uh, is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. And this is the passage we sing so many places in so many Christmas carols. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government, this is ruling, you see, the government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace sitting on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So this is uh, in the prophecy in Isaiah where it uh, predicts the coming of a male child to be born and bring light and peace. It says he will be king and not only a king, but the throne of David. Uh, like in Luke chapter 6, uh, Luke chapter 1, excuse me, I think it's verse 31 through 32. He said, uh, for today in the city of David is born for you a, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So yeah, hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Christ is our king. He rules. By the way, this song was written by Charles Wesley who was the uh, older brother of, of John Wesley, the famous uh, evangelist, uh, Methodist evangelist. Uh, and Charles wrote many, many hymns. So, yeah, the next line, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Now, you got to give the uh, any hymn writer a little a liberty there. You know, you, they got to find words that rhyme and and... But peace on earth and mercy, mild, okay, gentle. 
Uh, he shall come gentle and humble, we are told. But peace and mercy, peace and mercy, this is what mankind needed, you see. If we were given judgment, uh, we would be awful, wouldn't we? We are under the condemnation of God. But the, the birth of this child king is going to bring peace, and he's going to bring mercy. You see, peace, the, the peace here he's talking about is not in this stage, and it will be, but at this stage it's individual peace with God. How do we find peace with God? How does anybody find peace with God through the forgiveness of their sins? And it's simply through the next line, God and sinners reconciled. And that's an important Bible word, reconciled. It doesn't mean when two friends see each other again after a long time. No, it means when an enemy is reconciled to another person that was uh, hated. Would that be a proper word? I want to turn in my Bible over to uh, Romans chapter uh, 5, where it mentions so wonderfully this idea of being reconciled to God. And it doesn't say that we were good. See, it doesn't say that we were uh, near. In fact, it says this. It says in Romans 5, it said that, let me begin in verse 8. For God demonstrates his own love toward us. That's the peace and mercy mild part. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, that's, that, that's the cost of the reconciliation. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. You see, because we are all, if, if John is right, and I believe he is in John chapter 3, it says, he who does not believe the wrath of God abides upon him. For if while we were enemies, verse 10 of Romans 5, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more we shall be Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I can't spend time on that wonderful idea. But the thought for the <clears throat> him is this, that God and sinners are reconciled. How are they reconciled? I think through the passage he's referring to, through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the shedding of his blood. <clears throat> then he says, joyful, all ye nations rise. Joyful, all ye nations rise. In other words, he's going to finish it with, he says, listen, you, you Gentiles, that's what he's talking about, rise up, rise from the dead, as, as the Isaiah prophecy in chapter 55 says. Come, awake, arise from the dead. This idea of the Gentiles being co-heirs with the children of Israel is not a new thing. It's not new to the New Testament or the prophets. It began actually in the very uh, beginning with the Abrahamic covenant where uh, God says to Abraham, after he gives him the promise of a unique nation, Israel, he says, and in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So how shall all the nations of the earth be blessed? How is it the Gentiles who are dead in sin, separated from God, how shall they rise and be joyful? Well, it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, uh, Paul quotes the Abrahamic covenant in, Gen uh, in Galatians uh, by saying that this 
was a promise of the gospel. When Abraham said, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, it was a promise of the gospel to the Gentiles. In fact, Paul goes on as far to say, it's uh, God preached the gospel beforehand through Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations of the, be blessed. Isaiah is filled with this prophecy of the nations coming. One of them I really like is uh, where God says to his son in Isaiah chapter 49, uh, verses 5 and 6, in there somewhere, he said, um, you know what, it is not enough. It's the father speaking to the son in the prophecy. It is not enough for you to be the savior of my children Israel, paraphrase, but I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, right, to raise up many nations. Uh, then Isaiah 55, ho, everyone who thirsts, come in an invitation to the Gentiles. All of the middle section of Ephesians chapter 2, you Gentiles are now joint heirs with Christ. I could go on and on and on. But uh, it says, joyful, all you nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. Now, what's that? I, I, I think he's saying if, if we're continuing just straight through with his doctrinal thought, join the triumph of the skies, risen with him, the resurrection of the dead, newness of life, join this, this triumph. In other words, Jesus Christ rose in triumph in Colossians, right, chapter 2. He rose, he conquered uh, the ang evil angelic host, and he canceled out the certificate of debt that was written against you. So he said, listen... Join this triumph, join in this great triumph of resurrection from the dead. And with angelic hosts proclaim, this is a command, okay, rise up Gentiles. And with these angelic hosts, join in, Christ is born in Bethlehem, right? He's telling us now, well, how can we do that? That birth was, you know, in our, in our sense, 2,000 years ago. Well, we can still sing and, and glory in it, can't we? If, were he not born, he would have not lived. Had he not lived, he would have not died. Had he not died, he would have not risen, right? So his birth is the entry into this uh, present age, uh, into human life of the Messiah. Christ is born in Bethlehem. That prophecy is from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Do you remember, um, was it Herod who sent for the these scholars and said, where will the Messiah be born? And they quoted Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, which is also quoted in Matthew 2, 4 through 6, that uh, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Christ will be born in Bethlehem. So hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled, joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, join the angelic choir with angelic hosts, host just means a bunch of people, bunch of beings, with angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. So that's uh, verse 1. We'll go through verse 2 a little quicker. Uh, if the Lord wills. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Let's take that in one thought. In the beginning of uh, the early age, one of the big fights 
uh, within the church, doctrinal fights, were that where people were coming along and saying Jesus was just an angelic being. He was equal to the angels. You can read about that in Colossians, and um, it was a Gnostic belief. And good, good man, excellent, but not the everlasting Lord, you see? Not the everlasting Lord, not eternal Jehovah God. And Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14, sets this out very clearly, right? That Christ is greater than angels. In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 1 quotes so many psalms in supporting the fact that even the Old Testament said that when the Messiah comes into this world, he says, he quotes a psalm, it says, let all the angels of God worship him. And who alone gets worship? Well, God alone gets worship. And he said, all these angels are just ministering spirits sent out by the Lord himself, that Christ is not equal with these heavenly hosts. He is actually adored by them. He is actually worshipped by these heavenly hosts. Christ by highest heaven adored. Why is he adored? Because Christ is the everlasting Lord. Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, um, I don't believe it was Paul, but whoever wrote Hebrews, he ends up his argument by saying, to, he asking a question, to which of the angels did he ever say, and he quotes Psalm 110, sit at my right hand till I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet? None. In that same passage, he said he's king. So Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Bill, let me pause right here. Bill, you might ask, Charles Wesley have all of this in mind that you're saying? I think he did. Or he wouldn't have written it. I mean, that's the beauty of a good songwriter. He can take solid, prophetic, doctrinal truth and put it into a song, right? And put it into a song, and you can sing it. And you can remember doctrine. Or else I don't think he would be quoting, I mean verbatim, so many of these prophecies, both in the old and the fulfillment in the new. So Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, Late in time, behold him come. Let's stop right there. Um, late in time, what does that mean? He, he did, Was he late? <laughs> Is he tardy? Uh, no, no. It means late in the end of the prophetic utterances. Uh, Galatians 4.4, I like it, it puts it this way. It says, in the fullness of time, right? But that, doesn't, that wouldn't fit, fit with the meter, would it? <laughs> So it says, late in time, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin. Galatians 4.4, right? Just at the proper time. In other words, when all the prophecies were pointing to it, you see? Uh, And we, we don't have time to go through those. But right at this fullness of time, Christ came. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. This is one of the, I believe, foundational doctrines of the Christian faith, and that is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It's taken from, quoted from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse uh, 14. We can't spend a lot of time on it because we're not discussing virgin birth nor uh, exegeting Isaiah 7.14. But what he does say is that um, 
God's going to give the people a sign that this Davidic kingdom shall not be destroyed. And he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The Emmanuel's later on in the verse. Um, some people say, oh, that word just simply means a young girl. It's disingenuous. Uh, this is a very rarely used word. And we know it's unique because this, it says the Lord himself will give you a sign. How is a woman having a baby a sign? <laughs> I mean, that happens, that happened to my church about 10 times in the last three months. It's going to happen again soon. How are those signs? No, this is a virgin giving birth. It's a sign to point to the uniqueness of Messiah. But I can't delve into that in depth now. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. One of the saddest uh, events uh, in, in, that I ever experienced connected with a, with a song and is I often, if I go to a, a wedding or a funeral or I'm just visiting a church for any reason, uh, I'll pick up the hymnal that's in the church. Just curious. You can somewhat know a church by what it sings. And I, I turn to this hymn. I turn to Hark the Herald sing. This was a wedding that was held in a, a little Methodist church. And I picked up the hymnal and I said, I want to, want to see what's going on here. So it said, um, I looked at the second verse, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the chosen one. They just took virgin out. Why? It goes against logic. Who can believe that a virgin can give birth? Well, that's the whole purpose of the sign, <laughs> pointing to the Messiah. And not only that, but uh, Matthew 1, through 23 is pretty clear. That Gabriel appears to a virgin. It says, you're going to have a child. Mary says, how is that going to be? He says, the Lord will do it. And she says, let it be according to thy word. And it says very clearly, this was to fulfill what Isaiah said, a virgin shall give birth and bear a child. Um, so to deny the virgin birth, in, in my opinion, is to, is to take a very, very low view of the scriptures themselves. Uh, if I have the final say-so in what is uh, the word of God and what's not, I'm in a mess. So let's move on. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. I love this. Kelly, let's do three hours on this line here. <laughs> Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Wow. Wow. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was among us, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And moving on in that same chapter, John 1.14, And the Word became, what? Flesh and dwelt among us. I believe the writer of this hymn has this in mind, but not only that, but also uh, Colossians. In Colossians, it says, concerning Jesus Christ, it says, In Him, in Jesus Christ, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily Form. You can check that out 
in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, veiled in flesh. In other words, his glory, who he truly was, God incarnate, it was somewhat veiled to us. People saw him and did not believe him. They could not believe this is our Messiah. He was veiled in weak human flesh. In fact, it says in the likeness of sinful flesh. He did not sin, but made. He looked just like a human being. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Again, another foundation of our faith, and that is the deity of Jesus Christ. The deity of Jesus Christ. Nobody but God can save me, right? If if another man could save me, perhaps I could save myself. But it took God in the flesh, God becoming man, for me to be reconciled to him. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. And now again he quotes uh, Isaiah 7.14, this virgin birth, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Well, I think most of us know what Emmanuel means, and it means because we're told. <laughs> In Matthew, I think it's one we're told it means God with us. Not angel with us, not just another mere human being with us, but God with us. Let me just read through that second stanza, and then we'll close for this section. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Great hymn. Amen? Well, there's two more stanzas to come. Thank you for tuning in with us today for part one of Bill Bushhouse's series on the Angels Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We hope you were encouraged by it and come back next week to hear Bill wrap up this Christmas devotional. We are at the end of the fall term here at the Hill and all of our students head home tomorrow. Please keep our students in your prayers as they travel, cross borders, and step back into life at home. They have been such an encouraging group and we are excited to welcome them back in January along with some new students who will be joining us for the first time. Thank you again for tuning into the His Hill podcast. You've been listening to our host, Kelly Doherty, and our former director, Bill Bushhouse. If you would like to get in touch with Kelly, you can contact him by emailing him at kelly at hishill.org. You can also keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook for more Bible school updates. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ alumni. I'm Lizzie. See you next week.